If you've been with us for the past uh, three, four weeks, we've been uh, in this series called uh, Koinonia Life Together, doing, learning to, to do life together. And koinonia is a Greek word that gets often translated as fellowship, could be translated as shared participation or communion and different things. But when, when Christians hear fellowship, they usually think about two things, because it's such a Christian word, fellowship is. We either think of like uh, the meal afterwards where everybody brings something or that moment in which we shake people's hands. And that's like some fellowship. And really, we, we, we look to start the series in Acts 2.42 that koinonia is something that the early church was devoted to among three other things, apostles teaching to prayer and to breaking bread. And, and I think we've misunderstood what uh, the early church was really devoted to. They weren't devoted to, to just meals. That's probably more breaking bread. But, but this koinonia thing, this fellowship thing was really about learning to do life together. That our faith was not, it's not just our faith. That our, actually our faith is tied to a lot of other believers because we've got one spirit and one Lord who saves us and one salvation. And so it's kind of beginning to um, bring into focus. And, and I think going, I, I've been calling it this, it's going from um, black and white to color. Like our faith comes to color because we know it's not just stagnant. Like it actually, it asks us to be involved in other people's lives in a very physical way. And some of you have been meeting people's needs by providing uh, dry goods and providing vehicles and providing services. And you guys have just been living this out. So Keep on keeping on in that and taking care of one another. And we, we looked at how that gets into our emotional life and get to care in the highs and lows with one another. But t- today I, I want to end in uh, a different way that I think is so utterly important if we're going to do life together and who I feel like we're called to be. And I told you at the beginning of this, uh, of this series that I wanted to come back to Acts chapter 2 and look at the beginning part of it. So that's where we're going. We're going to the beginning part of Acts Two, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13 and uh, kind of pick back up right there. Just a little context for Acts 2. Uh, Acts 1, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the Father. And he says, go and wait, because then there, he said, it's actually good for you that I go, because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus had prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come and baptize them with fire, that he had baptized them with water. The Holy Spirit will baptize uh, with fire, and they'll be filled uh, with the Spirit. So Jesus had prophesied that this would take place. He tells them to go there. And he says, right before he leaves, right before he ascends back to the Father, that you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, that you are called to mission beyond your local region and beyond your immediate context. You are called beyond that, but you need power to do that. And that's where we get to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so let's read Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one Place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? 
Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? How Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had a little too much wine. <laughs> it was nine o'clock in the morning. They thought they were getting drunk super early in the morning, <clears throat> but something else had taken place. The Spirit of God had come to rest on them in a significant way that would shape the evangelism and mission of the church in this time. Uh, we know this as the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a feast on the Jewish calendar. It's the feast that comes <clears throat> right after Passover, and it's Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover. That's the Pinta. And so it's 50 days after. Um, and, and so often, I think then and even now, they were amazed and perplexed. Like, what is this about? What is the purpose of this? And even today, Christians argue, theologians argue, what was the purpose of this? What was God doing through this? Well, Peter clearly tells them uh, just a few verses later uh, as he quotes and he tells the people there, he quotes Joel chapter 2. Not only was this a prophecy fulfilled of what Jesus said, that, that the Holy Spirit will come baptize you with fire, but this was also a fulfillment of a very old prophecy from Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, say all flesh, all flesh, and your sons and daughters, sons and daughters, say sons and daughters, sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will uh, see visions. And there's this uh, old prophecy that's been fulfilled and that's what um, uh, Peter is telling the church. And so often we come to know this and it's completely 100% true that this is about the empowerment of the spirit. But I, I don't think it stops there. I think there is something much richer and, and deeper that I think in our current culture in America and Fathom Church, I believe in, in each of our lives, when it comes to Koinonia, that God wants us to understand about this text. It has to do with diversity. Because it says that there is Jews from every nation under heaven that were in this place. There's at least 15 different people groups, ethnic groups, 15 different languages represented here. And so an incredible amount of diversity in this early church and the outpouring of the Spirit. Incredible amount of diversity but there's somehow this incredible unity where they understand each other. I mean, like blow your mind kind of unity that like literally will leave them in awe. And people on the outside being like, them folks crazy. They're crazy. The joy and the presence of the spirit, people are looking on like that doesn't even make sense. And, and, and I just want to tell you like our, our world needs that kind of diversity and unity. It needs it, and, and people will say, like, we're in the most divided time in our, in our country, and like, look, we are divided in so many ways. This is not the most divided time in our country, people. Let's bring that into perspective. It's not the most divided time, but we have a, there is still a lot of progress yet to be made in our city, in our country, and, and in our church on this topic, and um, I'll tell you this, um, 
about 14 months ago, I was sitting in a leadership conference, and there's a pastor. His name's Miles McPherson. Um, he's, he's a biracial gentleman who used to play in uh, the NFL. He played for the San Diego Chargers, and, um, and as he was preaching, he, he wrote a book called The, the Third Option, and uh, we may actually come back and do that as a series at some point, but uh, he begins to just share his experience and just pour out his heart really just on racial reconciliation in the church and the church's role in racial reconciliation in our, in our nation, and um, I, I can't remember a whole lot what he said, but God, I just, I, I was just moved very deeply that uh, God was taking me all the way back to my childhood and just helping me kind of reframe. And, and it wasn't, I don't even feel like it was for, for my sake alone. It was for my sake, but it was for, for our church, for us to bring this into our perspective. Um, and and I, I know what some of you are thinking, like literally like the, the white guy is going to talk about diversity. Like it shouldn't be. Should we find somebody else to talk about diversity? I, look, I get it. And yeah, maybe may in a different scenario that, that worked better, but like he, he, I'm, I'm here and this is the church that God's called me to. And so I'm just going to speak honestly uh, out, of, out of my experience. And uh, so I, God just began to, to deal with me and, and really broke my heart and really began to wake up parts of who we're supposed to be um, that was, is a part of who Taryn and I uh, are and have been yeah, it was not something we taught on, was not something that we raised and said, this is a value for us, and here's why it's a value. And so in, in some ways, you're going to hear me talk about like, hey, this is a value, and this is why it's a value today. Uh, it's always been a part of who we are, but I, I feel like in, in many ways, I was convicted because I had not taught on this, and I had not impressed this culture upon us as a whole, that this is who uh, we are. Because uh, here, here's what I realized, and what I believe is that God is is creating for himself and is gathering together a people, a, a singular people from a lot of peoples. He's, he's bringing a very diverse group of people in the world to make one people his church. He's making one, uh, and we are a local expression of that kingdom, of that kingdom of heaven. Uh, 53%, uh, there's a, a, a uh, I guess he's a researcher, sociologist, religious scholar. I don't really know what to call him. Uh, author. His name's Ed Stetzer, and he does a lot of like deep research on this type of stuff. And uh, he said that fifty-three uh, percent of people disagreed with this statement. My church needs to become more diverse. Fifty-three percent of churchgoers in America disagree with that. In the white church, in the black church, in the Hispanic church, in the Asian church, fifty-three percent half people. Say, my, 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 we're good. We're good. Like, leave the diversity there. We don't need to go anymore um, in, in all churches. And so uh, I just want to tell you, like, I, I disagree. I actually think our church needs to become a lot more diverse. I think our church needs to become a lot more looking like our city. I think our church needs to be an expression of the kingdom of heaven, of what heaven looks like and what it's going to look like around the table. Our dinner tables need to look like that. And so, um, so I disagree with that. And... Um, and, and, and I began to think through and just like where, where our church is now and like where we're called to be. And, and I'll tell you, I've done all these statistics and, and I've got them, but we're not going to throw them up. We're not going to talk about them um, because I'll just tell you this. We're not where we need to be. We're not where we need to be. Uh, we, we've got a good head start. We're considered a multicultural church, uh, even though it might not feel like that at certain times. If for, for those of you that um, uh, are non-white, um, we're considered a multicultural church. Uh, because of our, our, our statistics uh, based on, on what they say for that stuff. But I, I want to talk about this stuff from my heart uh, today, but I want to talk about from the scripture because I think that's a big, I think it's a big message of what's being said here in Acts 2 
that frankly I've never heard taught on, and I think it's a really big deal because he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and we need all of us to go and, and do that, but to do it in incredible unity. Uh, the first thing I think it's important we understand today when it comes to diversity and, and unity in, in diversity is that it's biblical. Like, uh, this isn't a good idea. This isn't because we've got problems in our culture and like we need to... F- no, this is like God's plan all along. <laughs> like, this is, this is God's idea. This is um, his idea. And we see this throughout the New Testament in particular. There is a portion, and, and we get, don't have time to get into this all today, but in the Old Testament, you, you'll see things in which God was very protective over his people, Israel, and didn't want them uh, intermingling with other nations, but it had nothing to do with the color of their skin. That, it had to do with other ideologies and people who worshiped other gods. That's what it had to do with. Uh, and so that, that's where we see that throughout the, the history of Israel. But um, many of you know, I, I've, I've had the, the deep honor to travel a, a lot uh, throughout the world. And uh, I can remember back from the time I was 15 years old and I took my first international trip until this, this past week when we were in Peru. And um, uh, the markets are like my favorite part internationally. Like, I love the markets. I, I, I go, and these guys who, who speak Swahili or speak Spanish or something, and I go in there, and they, they try to hustle me, and I tell them, I said, you can't hustle a hustler. Like, I'm, you can't hustle me. So I love doing ministry in the markets. I love just having fun with those uh, guys, because they work, and those ladies who, who work, and uh, I just love to build relationships with them and come back and, and see them. But something I've noticed in the markets over the past 15, 20 years is that uh, commercialization and globalization um, has really taken root, and um, diversity has gone to the wayside. Uh, you go, we went through just the markets in Peru, in, in Lima, just a couple weeks ago, and it used to be every different vendor was so unique. It was from a different part of Peru. Their family, like their tribe, there was this uniqueness. It's all the same now. It's all the same, and they just, you know, made it somewhere, and it's commercialized, and we've lost this kind of sense of Uh, diversity. And I think it's important that we understand like that we in America and we here too can be just as opposed to diversity without even realizing it. And so in some ways we need to become um, conscious observers of our own bias and conscious observers of, of uh, how homogenous our lives become naturally. Oh, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, like whatever, young, old, rich, poor, like it, Like it just naturally, because I I can't tell you how many times it's taken place without fail every month or so, somebody will come up to me and say, you know, pastor, like I, I love the church, but there's just, you know, I wish there were more people like me. I wish there were more people in my life stage. I wish there were people who looked like me. I wish that there, and I've, if I've heard it one time, I've, I've heard it a hundred times. I've heard it so many times. And I usually have one of two responses depending on the situation. And the first, and one is, I think, a little more holy than others. Um, uh, the, the, the first response is, have you met so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? And I rattle off five or seven names, and they're like, well, no, I haven't met them yet. I'm like, well, let me introduce you. I'd love for you to connect because there are, you know, lots of people in your life stage or in, in your background. And the, the way more holy response that I think I, I would love to maybe, maybe even speak to someone right now who in this room, you don't feel like there's anyone in your stage of life. Uh, maybe you don't feel like there, there's anyone that, that looks like you or you know, comes from a background like you. Um, I, I think the holier response, and, and it's really important, is for they say, hey, I, I, there's nobody like me. I, I know. 
it breaks my heart, but I'm really glad you're here um, because I think God's going to use you in a significant way in order to reach people that I, that I can't reach and, and for us to look more, more like heaven, to be a diverse cross-section of people who, who are incredibly diverse but incredibly unified. And, and, and so for someone in the room that maybe feels like you're on an island by yourself, like just know, like you, you, one, you're, you're not on an island, but second, that you are, are called. You're called, and God is going to use your uniqueness. No matter what your uniqueness is, he's going to use it for his glory to build up his church. And so you can see this kind of diversity all throughout the scriptures, whether you look to Acts 2 or Acts 15 or Galatians 3 or Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 3, look through all the New Testament, and they're dealing with this same uh, thing. And I want to read one out of Ephesians 3, verses 5 through 9. He's talking about how Gentiles, non-Jews, get to be a part of this faith. They've been given the promise to, and I want to skip to verse 8. To me, uh, who am less than all of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the koinonia of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. This Koinonia, this mystery that black and white and Jew and Gentile and Hispanic and young and old, like, like there's this mystery of unity that, that our life together is baffling to those who look on from the outside. But how beautiful it is of the kingdom of God. And so the, the reality that lives within each and some of our hearts this morning is that we really just one homogenous church. Like there's 53% probably in this room too. Hey, like I, I don't think our church needs to become diverse. It's good. I actually just want to be attracted. I just want to find myself with people who are, who are like me, who like the things I like and who come from the background and who talk like me. And I just want that. And, I, and I, we've got to push away from that. I think today God is going to wake us up to some racial bias. I think God's going to convict us that you know, we don't have people that are different from us in our cell phone contacts. We don't have people that we could call up and spend the night on their couch who have a very different life than us and who have grown up very differently than us. We've got to receive this truth and apply it and not just be hearers of the word, but, but doers of the word. Diversity is biblical. It's not only biblical, but it's, it's sacrificial. Uh, when we were down in Peru, we left Christina Swihart down there. We just left her. We just said, she'll make it back when she can. Uh, but right before, no, she, she planned to stay for a few months. And um, some of you were like, did you really do that? Uh, uh, but right before we left, I, I spent some time with her and, and another young lady who were staying there from our team. And, and, uh, and I said, look, hey, you come from a culture. You come from Fathom Church. You're born to faith. And like, you've grown up spiritually in this, in this culture. And Here's what you're not here to do is to make them like us. That's not what you're here to do. Uh, in every way, it's going to take sacrificing your personal preferences and, and your cultural preferences in order to honor these people and to release these people to be who they are called to be. To, in, in, you know, to be Iglesia Vida 2.0, not to be Fathom Church 1.2B or something like that. It, that's not what we're doing here. And so Christina, is a, she's a very time, like she'll be there on time and very detail-oriented in, in, in many ways. And I said, look, like, you know, you're in Latino culture and like you're in Peru, like people show up 30 minutes late. Don't try to change that. You're not going to change that. 
You're not going to change that in three, like three months. You're not going to. So just embrace it um, and just be a, be a part with the people. You're able to love the people. Here's the reality is that, that Jews, Jews understood sacrifice because they had come from a lineage of sacrifice. Like they had, they, they were not even used to like worrying about getting their kids out the door. It was like getting their goat out the door to come to church with them. Because I think word had gotten around in the goat community that don't leave the house on Sundays. Like, you know, they're going to kill you. It's going to happen. And so anyway, they were used to this, this sacrifice thing. But what we read in, um, and, and what we know is that Jesus sacrificed once for all. Thank you, Jesus. No more animal sacrifices. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15 says this. For it's Christ's love that compels us uh, because we're convinced that one died for all and all, therefore all died and he died for all that those who live us should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised for them. We don't live for ourselves. This is core part of our discipleship is learning to die to our flesh is to sacrifice our personal preferences, to sacrifice our cultural preferences, to sacrifice the songs we like. I'll tell you, I grew more in worship to God in my entire life when I was in a church in which I didn't love the music. Because it was no longer about the music. It actually became about God. It was no longer about my favorite song that gets played. And so I would actually say, when you find music songs you don't like, I don't like that song, that's good. Push past that, because then you'll actually be worshiping God, not the song, not the style. Sorry, that's just true. Um, it's, it's Christ. It's a part of our discipleship. It's, it's, it's sacrificial. Um, this is not something that was unfamiliar to the early church in Rome. Is probably the most prominent example. The 20 years after Jesus was crucified, like 53 AD in the church in Rome, uh, you have these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians who are doing church together. But because the Jews had it and they were a little, you know, just a few days ahead of the game, uh, most of them were leaders in the, in the Roman church. And so, um, uh, you know, the, the government officials really saw that. They, they, they kind of picked on the Jews and thought they were creating all this kind of fuss and headache in the city. And so they threw all the Jews out of the city. I mean, just straight tossed them out of the city. Uh, and so here is this, this, this mixed, you know, ethnically diverse, you know, church, Christian church 20 years after Jesus' death. And it used to be led by Jews. Now it's all Gentiles. Well, like seven, six, seven years later, when the Jews come back, well, the Gentiles are the leaders because they're like, we're all that's here. And so they come back and the Jews come walking in. They're like, you guys painted the walls. Why'd you guys paint the walls? You guys are singing different songs. You guys are celebrating different holidays. And, and there becomes this, all this racial tension that wasn't there uh, because of this, this kind of shift here. And so we've got to know that this sac- like there's sacrifice that comes with diversity, and that we're going to have to live that out. And I just want to ask you, like, would you be willing to live that out with your personal preferences, with your cultural preferences, in order to carry the gospel forward for our church to look like heaven? To look like heaven. Because since 1998, we have what's called Generation Z, and that generation, that generation uh, in America is the most, most ethnically diverse generation in the history of the United States. And it's going to continue to become uh, more like that. And our city is going to continually become more uh, diverse. And so we need to be uh, postured to, to reach not only what's here, but just the coming generation 
that, that is being raised up and not just postured from like an organizational standpoint. I'm talking about in our hearts. Like this needs to be a core part of who we are uh, in, our, in our mission and in our city. Diversity is biblical um, and it's, it's definitely sacrificial, but it's got to be humble. Diversity has to be humble if it's going to be unified. Paul urges this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 verse 2. He says, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your, your love. It's your love that compels you and make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the spirit. Like not from pastor's series on koinonia, not from pastor's you know, teaching on unity. No, no, no. Keep yourselves in, in check in the unity and the spirit and binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's overall and living through all of us, through all of us. He's, he's challenging them this, to live in this because the reality on this humility thing <clears throat> is that the Jews needed a big old tablespoon, a big old mouthful of humility. Because if you read through the New Testament and Paul's letters, uh, they, they kind of thought they were God's gift. Hey, and it was their faith that's been passed on to us. It, it, it was theirs before it was mine as a Gentile. But they had to comprehend humility in this. They had to receive humility. They had to learn to walk in humility. They had to crucify their arrogance. And you say, well, we probably don't have that, that problem here. But yeah, we do. The reality is that each one of us has a unique perspective on life and a unique background and a unique tax bracket. And, and, and our life has all looked very unique. And you know what? We think our, our way is right. We think our, every single one, like that, because that's what we know and that's all we know. I joke about it all the time um, uh, that when Taryn and I got married, one of the things we started arguing about was how to load the dishwasher. Some of you guys have probably heard me tell about this. Load the dishwasher. And, and so Taryn did it the wrong way, of course, and I did it the right way. <laughs> you, you figured. You could have guessed that much. But <clears throat> about 10 years into our marriage, it only took 10 years to solve this matter, um, I, I'd constantly try to communicate, hey, this is, this is the right way to do it, and, and, uh, and what you're doing makes no sense to me. But, uh, but anyway, the whole point of the thing is I saw it one way, she saw it a different way. We think our way is right. There's nothing wrong with her way at all. But it was actually her that actually em embraced humility faster than me. Surprise, surprise. Um, she embraced humility and said, you know what? I actually, I actually think your way is awesome. I'm going to take that. And, so, and now we do it my way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was her humility that paved the way to an exquisite strategy for loading the dishwasher. Um, it's going to require humility that you're not always right. Your perspective is your perspective, and that, uh, that diversity is, is going to take that, that type of humility. So I would just invite you to embrace humility to listen and, and to, to be intentional, which is the next thing that I want to talk about for just a moment, that diversity is intentional. Like it doesn't, you're going to naturally veer towards people who look like you and talk like you and think like you naturally. Um, and so we have to be intentional to, to bring people into our life that are different from us, that bring a different um, perspective. I think this is part of what is 
is being said through Acts chapter 2 is that I need all of you to go out to not just reach Jerusalem, but to reach Judea and Samaria and to reach all. I'm bringing all these people together to create a people for myself so that you will go out and embody this. And so I would just challenge you to be intentional in your own life around who's around your dinner table and and who you text and who you follow up with and who you connect with. And I'm not telling you leave, you know, your homogenous whatever. I'm not, I'm not telling you to leave that in the past. I'm telling you to, to open your arms and, and open your contacts to, to, to people that, that look differently than you and who um, bring a different perspective than you because it, it brings a, a richness to life that we're missing out on in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's really where I want to leave us. Like, Pastor, why are we talking about all this stuff? Like, why I talk on diversity today? Um, <clears throat> and it's really because diversity is beneficial. Like, it's really beneficial for our life. I've, I've been reading um, this book called Range. I was telling Kayla about it, actually, when we were down in Peru. Uh, and Range is, is a, um, a book that kind of the, the, the shtick to it, uh, or the subtitle is you know, why generalist triumph in an, in an age of specialization. And so his main kind of um, case study, if you will, is between Tiger Woods, one of the greatest, you know, golfers of um, all time, and then Roger Federer, who's one of the greatest tennis players of all time, arguably the best in their, in their field um, for in ever, forever. And uh, so he kind of uses these two to tell kind of a story that Tiger Woods was really specialized from age like three or four, like he became a golfer and like his dad kept him in golf and he played golf all the time. And he was just, he raised him to be this genius phenom. It started when he was young of specialization. And so what's taken place over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years is an increasing amount of focus on specialization for children. Like even now in our school systems in Jacksonville, like in middle school, we're trying to specialize our kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're like pick a track and you got a school that's for more math oriented. And I I get what's being done. Like I'm not opposed to it even, but um, what's taken place even in in like, uh, like, um, sports things that okay now you now your kids got to play year round and they kind of force feed this whole thing that you got to play your sport year round if you're ever going to be successful at it well and just know there's a money making business behind that that keeps you doing that it's not beneficial for your finances it's probably not even that beneficial for most of your kids there's no point in it and uh, but it, it is um, and it's definitely not beneficial for your family to be doing that you know but uh, that's the reality of what's propagated in our culture. But the other side of that, and where all the data and all the statistics about those who have become mega successful is those that had diversification in their upbringing. Nadal, um, not Nadal, other one. Federer, he had a completely different experience. He wasn't specialized. He was very generalized. He played cricket, and he played badminton, and he played soccer, and he played basketball. He played all these sports growing up, and he kind of grew to the same type of fame in his field, and all the data would support actually generalization, whether it's art or whether it's CEOs. You look at the top CEOs. Most of the time, the field they're working in is not the field they've been in. They've been all over the place and worked in so many different things. And so what's the point? Why are you telling us about this book you're reading? Because the point is, is that diversity is good for us. It's a diversity of challenge that actually enables us to embrace new techniques and new ideas and new perspectives that serves us long-term. And I'll tell you, it makes the growth harder. It makes it more painful because the learning curve is there, but it benefits us long-term in a much greater way. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Well, why am I talking about this? Because diversity broadens our perspective. It, it broadens our understanding and our applications of the scripture. Like, just to use the old phrase, diversity does the body good. It's beneficial for our lives. I, I'll tell you that when I, <clears throat> I go to Kenya, Africa, and I, I, I sit in the slums or on the edge of the slums and the people a gather and we, someone opens the scriptures and reads about how God is faithful to provide for their needs according to his riches and glory. When I read that in the slums of Kenya, like that brings me an application and understanding that I did not have before. Uh, when, when I go to South Australia with the Aboriginal people, that until the 1950s were not considered human and people could hunt them for wild, as wild game, till the 1950s. And when I sit in these communities in which, you know, suicide rates are off the charts and addiction is off the charts and, and sit with these people and we read about the hope we have in Christ, when I read about it in that culture, it deepens my perspective. I, I see it in a different lens when I sit in my small group and someone who's experienced great loss and, and, and someone who, who has built great wealth in their life and, and, I, and I'm able to sit around... It deepens my perspective and applications of the scriptures. It, 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 makes, it makes me better. The reality is that wise diversity. We're better together. Like we're better together. We learn from one another. We get so much more together. I used to love the show Lost. If we don't learn to live together, we're going to die alone. That's one of the lines. We got to learn to live together and do life together and embrace the diversity that God has called us to have as a church and to be intentional about it and know that it's going to take sacrifice. Know that it'll take some humility. But know that it's biblical and know that it's beneficial. It is good and it serves the kingdom of God for the long term. So where are you at on this this morning? Let's just talk about koinonia. Are you doing life together with anybody? And, and, I mean, we could talk about groups, but I'm not even talking about groups. I'm just talking about your life. Like, do they really know? Are you really, really doing life with anybody? Are you really reaching out? Because you're not called to do it alone. And then we can turn our attention to this diversity thing. Like, is, is there some people you could call that different tax bracket, different background, different races right now? Did you call them up? You can stay on their couch. I mean, that's, that's friendship. Like, I, I, I need a place to stay tonight. My wife kicked me out because I argued too much about the dishwasher. Now I need a place to stay. Like, that, that's real friendship. Like, how many people can you call and land on their couch tonight? Can you, can you get to five names? Get ten names? I'm challenging us to, to lean in and allow God to speak to us, humble us, and know that it's the diversity that's going to benefit us, that's going to build us up, this range that we're going to develop in our life and allows us to, to reach our city, to reach our city, to be who God, God's called us to be. We're pursuing a multi-ethnic, life-giving, diverse church right here in this city. And I want to call us to prayer over that. Um, I, I, they're going to lead us in a song here in just a minute, but I, I want us to pray. I want you to pray just, <clears throat> first, God, would you help me as an individual kind of live out humility with my own perspective? sacrifice with my own culture that, that the body may be built up. But then I want us to pray for our church. I want us to pray for our city. Because you can look at the demographics and like you can probably go find, you can find what you need to find in the city. You know what I mean? 
Um, and, and our city has made national headlines for things more than one time in recent years. Uh, and so I want, I want to pray that for whatever influence God will give us, that we'll be a part of racial reconciliation in our city and that we would be a reflection of his kingdom and, and our city in which we love. So would you stand with me? <clears throat> and I want us to pray just humbly today that God would give us eyes and they're going to they're gonna lead us in a last song that we can reflect and just ask God to speak. Come on, will you pray with me today? God, I thank you. I thank you for the diversity in our church, God, people that have come from all walks of life and different religious backgrounds and people of all kinds of over the map when it comes to age and, and race, God. And, and I just thank you that you've drawn us together to this place to, to be unified in your spirit, God. We don't want to rush out and do this in our flesh, God. Would you empower us by your spirit and be compelled by love to invite um, just deeper relationships with people who look differently and who think differently, who have different culture than us. God, would you just allow us to be a part of the story that you're writing, God, that you've been writing since Acts chapter 2, that you are unifying a, a diverse church that will be a witness for you in the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. God, will we be faithful in Jacksonville? Will we be faithful in our neighborhood? Will we be faithful in our church? Will we be faithful in our work? God, will we be faithful there? Be humble there. God, raise us up, God, for whatever influence you will give us in our city. God, raise us up to be a voice for racial reconciliation in our, in our city. God, we want to be a part of your kingdom and representing you, God, to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, God. Would you allow us to be that, God? Right now, for each person in this room, God, maybe there's some of us that came in here and we come with hardened hearts because of things that have been said about us, God, or how people view us, or maybe the, the, the upbringing that we had, and we had racist parents, and we, we, we're just, we got some things that are just nagging in our head, God. I just pray that you would uproot it through the power of your spirit, like it fell down on the early church. Would it just be uprooted from our minds and hearts, any of that that's lingering in any hearts and minds today? God, that we can be a reflection, a unified, diverse people that you are creating for yourself and you will return for, God. And we want to be ready. We want to be a reflection, God, that, that people can just see right through us and they see you. God, we trust you for that today, God. We enter into your presence just knowing, God. We stay in your presence knowing, God, that this moment matters. And so we lean into you in Jesus' holy name. Come on, let's worship. Let's pray. Let's let God speak into our lives and know that he's doing something.